0: Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one transcendent page of Talmud every day. And in today's DAF, Yoma 66, we return to that moment. Take a listen. And the priests and the people standing in the temple courtyard, when they would hear the explicit name, emerging from the mouth of the high priest. When the high priest did not use one of the substitute names for God, they would kneel and prostrate themselves and fall on their faces and say, Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. There is something so incredibly powerful, so moving about this moment, the one time of the year where one man, the high priest, would walk into the Holy of Holies and say the explicit name of God, and that that act alone of speaking a word, of speaking a name, was so powerful as to have everyone in the congregation kneel in awe and terror. It's just such an incredible reminder of, well, the power of language and of words to move us in ways we really didn't think possible. A couple weeks ago, we already listened to Ishai Rivo's magical rendition of this very moment in his song, Seder Avodah, But because this passage really puts me in mind of the power of words, I thought it might be a good idea to run a little snippet of an interview that my colleague Mark Oppenheimer and I conducted a few weeks ago on our other podcast here on Tablet Magazine, Unorthodox. It's with the poet Christian Wyman, who is, I think, one of our greatest living poets, and also a devout Christian, who shared with us his thoughts about words and language, and how sometimes the right words in the right order can move you beyond belief. This is Christian Wyman on Unorthodox, sharing some of his poetry with us. Have a listen.
1: Reading your work, there is some kind of fiery intensity in it. And I'm no student of poetry, I'm I'm no connoisseur of poetry, but I am a disciple of my rabbi, Rav Leonard Cohen who taught me that the best poets are, are the ones who appeal to women. And when that fails, appeal to God. There seems to be something very, very much in conversation, in, shall I say, urgent, desperate conversation with God in your work. So first of all, would you say that it's true? Second of all, do you feel yourself connecting to some kind of celestial sources as you work?
2: The implicit assumption there is that I've failed with women. So I've moved on to the second part.
1: <laughs> well, every good poet should, right?
2: Yes, I do feel that there is some kind of a connection with another to God. I would love to write a whole book of poems though that didn't use the word God, that had that connection but didn't use that didn't have recourse to that word. I don't think I'm at all unique in that. I think a lot of poets, American and otherwise, feel some sort of connection to another or the supernatural when they write. But then on the other side of it, they don't aren't really, really willing to do anything with that. You know, it doesn't really mean anything on the other side of the experience. And I've always been very confused on the other side of the experience, sort of wondering, you know, what what the hell just happened and what do I do with that? To me, that's always translated into an interest in religion.
1: So in the ancient Jewish temple, there was really one other class of people other than the priests and the, the Levites who, who are allowed. And that was musicians, the understanding that those musicians slash poets who came and, and wrote and sang songs for God because that was the only way that you could connect you you sort of transcended you said something just now about trying to understand that that feeling is there an inherent sense of loss here because you know most of us are removed from this temple-like experience. Most of us are removed from the kind of clear, pure, white heat of, of religious communal life. where We're trying to figure out these emotions when most of the infrastructure for figuring them out has been taken away from us. Am I again over-romanticizing it, or, or is there sort of a, a double helix here of, of of hope and heartbreak?
2: This may be a distinction. I don't have an experience of formal religion that has ever held that power for me. I mean, my experience of art it's always been more powerful than my experience of formal religion. And so I understand the loss intellectually, but I don't exactly feel it. I'm very hungry for a religious communal experience, but I don't find it. You were raised in an evangelical tradition. Is that is that right? Yeah. And that was an intense experience in childhood. That was different. And, and I, no doubt part of the rapturous experience that I'm after in poetry comes out of that emerges from that.
3: Is it that once you're past childhood, it's just not there for you? Or is it just that, like, do you think that there could be a church? And do you hunger for the church that could take you back to the excitement of group worship
2: when you were 10? Oh, I don't think I could do that. That's just not me. But I just hunger for some sort of communal experience that, well, that I don't feel so apart from. But, you know, Marilyn Robinson has a beautiful, she wrote an absolutely beautiful essay. It's called Psalm 8, wondering why she finds herself driving home late at night to get to the church early in the morning, this placid congregational church in the middle of Iowa that demands virtually nothing. And she's wondering why she feels such hunger to be in a place from which she feels estranged, sort of fundamentally estranged. And yet she keeps on going all the time. And and I understand that entirely. I feel a great hunger to be part of something from which I feel sort of fundamentally estranged.
3: So, you are one of two writers, Chris, who I think of as favored by, to be blunt, a lot of my liberal Christian friends. and Marilyn Robinson's the other. Like you and Marilyn, like, find me a certain kind of earnest divinity student who also writes, does creative writing. They love Christian Wyman and Marilyn Robinson. And I love Christian Wyman and Marilyn Robinson, but I'm not sure why either of you is a Christian. I understand why you're a theist, but I'm not sure what it is about the centrality of Jesus's message or the New Testament that makes you claim that title. So could you spell it out for me? Is it because the
2: resurrection's true? Oh, it's because I understand God as being with us in suffering, and I'm only able to see that through Christ. But I've only actually seen that once in in my own life during one period of time when I was suffering terribly. And what scalded me then was, I would call it the love of Christ. And I can't get away from it, but, you asked me, do I call myself a Christian? I do, but very I feel very miserable about it. I always feel like I'm a terrible Christian, like I'm struggling to be a Christian. It feels to me like a constant sense of failure. I have no desire to convert you to Christianity, to my own misery. I believe that for me, it is the only path forward. That's the language that I know. So what made you see that, given that the version of
3: that mythos that you grew up with wasn't attractive to you anymore?
2: Had a lot to do with what I wrote. The revelations occurred in what I wrote. I would write something and realize what was occurring in in what I wrote. That's what I mean by on the other side of it. You have to do something with that experience. But it also had to do with the love of my wife, the love of the other people in my life. I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a famous quote where he says, Christ is always stronger in our brother's heart than in our own, which I think is a wonderful way of thinking about it. You need it to be reflected back to you. I mean, there's a great Jewish Quote, Abraham Joshua Heschel says, you know, faith is mostly faithfulness to the time when we had faith. And so I, if I think of those moments of intensity demanding something of me on the other side, I mean, his writing was actually very important for
1: me in terms of thinking of myself as a Christian, oddly enough. You read him and said, yeah, nice, but I'm missing this one. Exactly. Special <laughs> suffering sauce.
3: <laughs> Which you'd think Heschel would have earned somewhere along the way, you know. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wyman, would you read us a poem? Yeah, it's called Ten Distillations. Could you tell us something about it? About when you wrote it or why you wrote it?
2: I put this together over a period of years actually. They're all in um little couplets. They just came far apart. I didn't even I had them written down in different places and then I realized that they were all sort of forming a constellation of statements about theology, and so I put them all together. Ten Distillations. Apophatic. He talked of nothingness until it wasn't He bragged his gravity into God. Convert. What did he learn when he learned of his own bad heart that scared and sacred are but a beat apart? Skeptic. His eyes were open, but his heart was shut. At the edge of every wonder, he said, but. Inspiration. The clearest morning is a thing to bear, he writes, overjoyed once more by despair. Knowledge. To touch the summit was to learn so much, among which there are summits you can't touch. Via negativa. He names his love by naming what he hates. Joy generalizes. pain. Individuates. Near death. Not beyond, but beyond my power to tell. What Eden's sweeter than the one in hell? Apophatic, again. Why wouldn't I praise the vacuous black? The one abundance I could trust was lack. Natural theology. Dawn. Light dew on the grass, the air cool, clear, nothing more, nothing mere. The end of prayer, that I might cry life like any bird
0: belonging to its dawn. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. I'm your host, Leah Libowitz, and our producers are Josh Cross, Sarah Fredman-Ader, and Robert Scarmuccia. For more information, go to tabletmag.com take one or email us at at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at TakeOneDafyomi, or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.